You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 67. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much for listening and for joining me on what is the year anniversary of The Lively Show, which was actually February 9th, but we're celebrating it today. This is a huge turning point for the show. What I did not realize when I started the show is that it was going to have a season finale for the first season, which happens to be this episode. As you guys know, I have been working really hard and over the last few weeks, the six months of pushing with Life With Intention Online and the show twice a week and everything else I have going in my career has become an overwhelming challenge to keep up with. And quite honestly, it's been taking its toll for a while now. It's really gotten to the point where it is time to rest, recommit to my own life, my family and my personal values, and to really recharge so I have more to bring to you in season two. I'm not exactly sure when season two will begin, but I will say that I have been and will be continuing to record those episodes for season two now and going forward. So this show is not going anywhere. Do not think that the lively show is gone or over in any way whatsoever. I'm not going anywhere. What I'm doing is really committing to myself and to my family. I will bring a better, more excited, more energetic Jess to my career. For those who are in life with intention online, don't worry, we still have one more month left. I'm still going to be in social media from time to time, but I am going to let this show rest as I continue to fill up my cup so I have more to share with you. If you guys are jonesing for some Lively Show, please go to thelivelyshow.com to check out the archives. Please listen to any of the episodes you haven't listened to yet or re-listen to your favorites as you need a fix of The Lively Show. And in the meantime, again, I will be out on Instagram and Twitter. Feel free to send me messages. My handle is at Jess, C as in cat, lively. Now let's talk about today's guest, who is truly the perfect guest for me to have on my season finale and one-year anniversary special. Pat Flynn, who is our guest today, is pretty much my podcasting hero. He has a podcast called Smart Passive Income and a podcast called Ask Pat. And those two podcasts are my very favorite podcasts. He has taught me what it means to be a great podcaster, a wonderful person, and a successful business owner. I truly believe he's the nicest person on the internet, and it has been a huge honor to talk to him today. In this episode, Pat will talk about how he got let go from his architecture job in 2008 and how slowly from that day forward, he has continued to grow his own online business to the point where he is now just a few thousand dollars shy of $1 million a year in his business. On his blog, smartpassiveincome.com, each month he shares exactly how he's earning this money and exactly what he's doing that's right, that's not working, and how he's failed along the way. He's incredibly genuine, and he truly has one of the most impactful business podcasts I have ever found. Let's go to the show. Thank you so, so much. I'm kind of freaking out over here for coming on the show. Why are you freaking out? I'm freaking out because you're my podcast hero. I'm sure I've said this in the intro already because I plan to say this in the intro. 
I know you don't listen to a lot of podcasts because you're so busy keeping up with your own show. And I feel like that's been the same for me. But your show or shows really plural are the ones that I have to listen to. And I just I really, really admire everything you've done online. I really do believe Thank you. you're the nicest person on the Internet. <laughs> I mean, that just uh, I I if you could see me right now, I'd be blushing and smile <laughs> ear to ear. I'm mean, just thank you for that. This is, I mean, that, that's why I do what I do to hear that. And I just love that. So I'm just so happy to be here. I'm, I'm really excited to share whatever I can to help your audience out. All right, let's get started. So tell us about your background and how you got to where you are. Wow. So I come from the world of architecture. That's what I went to school for. And uh, I graduated from UC Berkeley with a degree in architecture and pretty much through a random connection in the marching band, which I was in in college, <laughs> I got my dream job coming out of there and working at a very, very good firm in, in the Bay Area, working on some really cool projects, actually. And um, everything was great. I was doing way more than I was asked to. And because of that, I was getting promoted. I was getting paid more than than most people my age. I was the youngest person to get promoted to job captain. And then all of a sudden, in June of 2008, my boss calls me into to his office. And I always loved going in, the, in there because he was awesome. And he sat me down. He said, Pat, you know what? You're one of the youngest, brightest guys we have in the firm. Unfortunately, we have to let you go. And I'm like, what? Like, how could what you just said there go with what you just said there? Like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and, and it was just a crushing blow to me because my whole, you know, adult life I had assumed was going to be all around architecture. And here I was getting kicked out. And my first reaction was, you know, going back to my desk after I was like, why me? What did I do wrong? What is my fiance going to think of this? Because I had actually just proposed to her and she said yes. My first reaction was to call every single ar architecture firm that I've ever worked with, all my friends who were with me in school and every sort of company that we've ever, ever worked with in the company and beg and plead for a job. And, you know, at the time, this was uh, when the economy was just tanking because of the recession. Nobody was hiring, so I couldn't get back in. I was, thought I was doomed. Now, luckily, I had a few months of a buffer period because I was job captain and I had clients. They couldn't just let me go without kind of weaning me off of them a little bit. During that time, it was just crazy because every day I would go to work, I, you know, I would just be one day closer to that end and I just didn't have any energy to work. And so what I would do most of the time was listen to podcasts and just kind of dream about certain things that might happen or, or, or expect something to change with the economy and have them hire me back. But one day I was listening to this podcast and it was uh, by these two guys, Jason and Jeremy, who hosts a show called Internet Business Mastery. And on that show, I had heard an interview about a guy who was making six figures a year helping people pass the project management exam or the PM exam. And that's when a light bulb went off for me because I had, while my time uh, doing architecture, passed a really hard exam. It was so hard that, you know, my first run at the test, I got a 25%. I have friends that are architects and they've talked about this exam. It's a huge deal. Oh, it's a huge deal. And, 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 and I was just crushed because I had gotten straight A's and all that stuff. And to get a 25%, I mean, that was just like... I am not sharing that with anybody. Now I'm happy to share that. But <laughs> in to retrospect. Help me, right, right. But to help me pass that exam later, I actually created a website to keep track of all my notes so I could study at every single free moment I had during lunch, went on travel, and even share it with a couple friends. Well, I ended up passing that exam in March of 08, a few months before I was going to get laid off, interestingly enough. And I just let that site sit there, really had no intention of taking it anywhere. And I had spent about a year studying for this exam until I passed it. Well, fast forward to this podcast that I listened to. I was like, hmm, I have this website. It helps you know, it helped me and a couple of coworkers pass. Maybe I could share it with the world and I don't know, maybe turn it into a business. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know what to do first, but all I know is I'm going to have to keep track of traffic. So the first thing I did was put a tool on site, Google Analytics, to help keep track of the traffic. And the next day, there were 
five or 6,000 people already visiting the site. And I had no idea how this happened or why, but apparently I had just put so much content on that site that Google started ranking me for all these keywords and people found it. They used my site already to pass this exam. I had no idea until I opened up the comments <laughs> and people were like, Pat, we love your site. Like, this is awesome. This is helping out so much. And then I was like, okay, business opportunity. And so a month and a half later, I published an ebook study guide that was pretty much just a package of all the things that I had learned from this exam and tips and, and, and everything about the exam into this ebook, which I sold for $19 and 99 cents. And that first month, after launching it in October of 2008, I had made $7,908.55, which was more money than I'd ever seen in my entire life. And it just blew me away. Like I thought the cops were going to come to my door <laughs> because I was like, that was just way more money than I like. I don't know. It's just it was just ridiculous. And the coolest part about it was I kept getting emails from people saying, Pat, I passed the exam months ago. But I bought your book because you finally gave me a way to pay you back for all the amazing information you gave me to help me pass last month or something like that. And I was like, wow, like my whole notion of online business before this was like scam, red alert, red flags, all this stuff. You know, these people who just are car salesmen online who just promise these riches and whatever. I was just disgusted. And here I was in it and not only providing value, helping people pass an exam, but getting these incredible notes of thank you from people. And that was my first foray into selling products online. And I, you know, I really haven't looked back since. And that's why in each of my businesses that I create now, I truly adopt the idea of serve your audience first, give as much as you can to them because they will find a way to pay you back eventually. Maybe not right then, maybe not that exact person, but whether they share your information or help you out in some way, shape or form, as long as you give and give and give, you're always going to get back something. And uh, my business took off from there. I started adding new products. Then I created the Smart Passive Income blog in 2008, at the end of 2008, just to share how all this was happening. And I used that site to reveal everything, the things that go right, the things that go wrong. I've since created new businesses public on that site and share all the wins and losses. People love to hear how I fail. And I think that's so cool because those are always going to be lessons that other people don't have to go through themselves. I sort of termed myself as the crash test dummy of online business. And, and so wherever I go now, your podcast everywhere. I do as much as I can to just reveal and be transparent and uh, authentic and just try and help as many people as possible. And now I'm doing keynote speeches. I'm an author. I, I'm just, it's crazy, this whole journey. Like I just, every time I tell this story, I, like, I've told this, how it's happened several times in the past. And every time I tell it, I just cannot believe how awesome everything has turned out to be coming from the worst day of my life and getting laid off. I mean, just looking back, it was a complete blessing in disguise. And I think it's so funny how you fell into the online business world. You gave first without even expecting anything because you just put it out there. And then by the time you get the analytics, the traffic is already there and they're already looking to repay you. And I think that you embody exactly what you said. And I think it's probably that first experience that you saw very clearly. If I give so much, this is going to come back to me. And you actually gave before you asked. And I have to say, from listening to your show and your podcast specifically, just even that, not the blog, not, I mean, the YouTube videos are great and everything, but that podcast alone, I listened to so many episodes. I felt like I owed you $300. I don't know how many people I've told that, you know, I feel like I owe Pat $300 at least just for the value I've gotten from his free content. And then by the time you finally offered <laughs> for the donations for your schools you just built in Ghana, I was like, thank God I finally have a way to pay him because I've been saying for so long that I 
feel like there is this imbalance in my life that I've gotten so much from you, but I haven't been able to return it. (laughs) So I think that everything you say, you truly, truly live and you do give away epic free content. And I hope and try my own way in my own work to do something similar because I know how amazing it is. And we haven't gotten there yet, but one of the things that you do every month is you share your earnings report. You've done this since 2010, I believe. I did it since the first month after I launched that book, actually. Oh, so oh wait. Yeah. Okay. 08. So we're going since there. Now you've hit over a hundred thousand dollars per month on many months. And you know, you're still like bouncing up around that hundred thousand dollars per month in revenue. It's, so crazy. it's crazy. And you're still the same person, I imagine, that you've been throughout every single step of the way because of how humble you are now. I just feel like it's probably not shifted at all. This is what I want to talk about. How did you go mentally? How as a human, not just in the business side, that's fine. You can look up, you know, the podcast and your blog documents very clearly how you start to make that revenue. But I want to go through the mindset shifts that you've had to go through from someone who was laid off to someone who is earning $100,000 per month. Yeah, I mean, the mindset is completely everything. I mean, without the right mindset, you are not going to succeed. It was Henry Ford who said, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. And for the longest time in the beginning while I was going through this process, it was always a, I can't do this type of mentality. I mean, that resistance always comes into play. And I've seen it time and time again. And even thinking back to my childhood days, like that resistance, that fear that comes into play, it always happens right before you're about to do something that's different, right? And it's there because it's sort of a security mechanism. So you don't jump off a cliff or something and do something stupid. But, you know, the, that that reaction, that resistance comes into play a lot of times before we do something that could be completely life-changing and amazing. But it took a long time for me to, you know, a lot of hard thinking, but mostly actually what helped me was connecting with other people who had already adopted the, the can-do mindset, who were successful at online business and connecting with, with those people and asking them the right questions and getting encouragement and motivation to be able to take action. And then when I was taking action, each every step along the way, I always thought to myself, what if this doesn't work? How can this work? And it wasn't until I started to appreciate a lot of the small wins along the way. Every little step along the way when I accomplished something, I became very proud of it because it was very new for me and very different. And I got excited every time seeing how it was all building up to this eventual launch of a of a product. But again, every step along the way from writing the book to then I finished it and then, okay, now what? And then doubting whether or not people were gonna people were gonna purchase it. And I, I even remember my first sale that came through and finished uploading the book to my cart and everything and it was like three in the morning and so I had to get up a couple hours later to take the train to work for my last few days of work actually and then I woke up the next morning a few hours later and I saw it there I checked my email address no sales came through and it was only three hours later in in the early morning hours so I mean I was like okay maybe that's why and then I got to work a couple hours later because I was taking the train from San Diego to Irvine at the time checked my email no sales and I was like what a complete waste of time. And then at, I think, 8.30 or 8.35, uh, the first notification came in from PayPal and said, you have a notification payment received from this person for $19.99 minus like a little fee. And I was just so darn excited. Like, I did it. I couldn't believe it. And then what happened? I started to think, wow, what if this person opens it and he doesn't like it? What if he sends it back? And then what if he tells the police? And blah, blah, blah. Like all this, we are always our own worst enemy. And just realizing that I did have something that was completely valuable and something that I wish I had. And 
getting feedback from people who were using it and passing an exam, that was confirmation for me that this was something I had to do and to move forward with it and get over myself and just put value into people's lives as much as I could. And when I made that decision and I started to get comfortable with selling this thing that I knew could provide value, that's when things really started to take off. I started to create more products like an audio guide. I connected with a company that offered practice exams and I started making a commission by selling their exams on my site. And the site was just making twenty dollars to $30,000 a month in mid-09 at that time. Uh, the site, you can find it still today at greenexamacademy.com. And man, it's just so, so awesome. But then... Then, then more resistance starts to come into play. And, and even in my business now, after finding a lot of success, it still comes my way when I started my YouTube channel, when I started my podcast. I mean, it took me a year and a half to get over hearing my own voice and wondering what people were going to think of it to finally launch my podcast. And then public speaking, something if you had asked me back in 08 if I was ever going to do, I would have said no way ever <laughs> would I go on stage in front of 10 people, let alone what I do now, sometimes thousands of people. It's interesting because I know now that when I feel that resistance, that that is actually a sign that that's a place I should go, that I should break through that resistance because there's always something amazing on the other side there. I mean, we could talk for five hours about all the the fears and the mistakes I've made and the failures. I mean, another fear that came was actually while everything was going so well, I remember I got an email from the United States Green, Green Building Council, or actually it was an attorney who represented the United States Green Building Council, which is the company that administers this exam. And it had basically said, uh, you have 14 days to stop what you're doing or else uh, we're going to take further action. I freaked out. All I read was, we're going to take further action, and I freaked out. But then I gave it to an attorney after finding one, and, and he was like, well, you're using their trademark in your domain name, and that's what they're upset about. And I was like, what? And then immediately then I was like, oh, my gosh, how could I make such like a rookie mistake? I was doubting the whole decision to go down this path for, for such a long time. I was like, okay, this is way too much for me. I am in way over my head. I'm going to go back to architecture. The economy seems to be maybe coming back. I don't know, but maybe I should go to graduate school. I, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, just trying to walk away from, from that because it was scary. You know, eventually what happened was, was I just decided to change the domain name and, and do a technical thing called the 301 permanent redirect to keep all my Google rankings and keywords and, and stuff like that. And then after that, they were quiet and they were happy. They were actually very encouraging with what I was doing. They just didn't want me to use the domain name. <laughs> if only they could have said that in the first place. Right? Like they make it sound so scary every time they send you a message. It's all in like letterhead that's all official and stuff. Like an email would have been great. But that was another time when for a while I was like, man, this is this is heavy stuff. Like this is real business stuff. And maybe I'm not cut out for it. I was a great employee. Maybe I should just go back to doing other people's work. But the big thing for me after that and, and the next part of the timeline was I got a call from my boss who had let me go, actually. And this person called me and he offered me a job at a new firm that he created. He took some of my old uh, coworkers with him and he offered me a higher position, more pay and free rent for a year to go with him. That's an interesting perk. Yeah. And he really wanted me back. And I quickly thought about it and I said, thank you, but no thanks. And it was the best no I've ever said in my entire life. That was a truly defining moment in my life because that was like, wow, okay, I've made the commitment to do this and and I'm going full force and this is something I believe I can do. I don't think if I didn't believe I could do it, I would have said, I would have said no, I would have easily taken that offer. 
So that was huge too. I mean, there's 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 so many things that that go along with the mindset that you know you just have to really believe you can do it. And yes, it's a long journey, and it does not happen overnight. Success does not absolutely not even close happen overnight. It takes a lot of work, but a lot of smart work. But to help you along the way, you need to connect with the right people who are going to be there and to encourage you and hold you accountable and motivate you. But also at the same time, you need to appreciate every step along the way because it's a process. And if you if you start dreading what you have to do next, then maybe what you have to do next isn't you, you maybe not, you're not doing the right thing. You know, I love every single moment of this journey, whether it's it's something awesome that happens or it doesn't, because it's always fun to figure it out and know that, you know, I'm actually in control of my own destiny now. I know that if I fail, if if I lose my money, it's because of something I did or didn't do. It's not something I can't control anymore. Absolutely. So what would you say to Pat Flynn, who felt like the cops were going to come and get you (laughs) for making the money you made initially to earning (laughs) $100,000 a month? I want to know what you would say to that person to get him mentally prepared for the abundance you have in your life now. Because I'm sure that's got to be a challenge. Or was it just the people that you connected with along the way that helped open your eyes to that possibility that you could earn? The people was a part of it. But I think, you know, if I could go back into time, you know, stepping into my DeLorean. Yeah, your DeLorean. Right, exactly. Sorry, <laughs> I always have to put a Back to the Future reference in my interviews because it's my favorite movie. But if I can go back into time and talk to myself, it would be, you know, a few pieces of advice. One is just connect with as many people as you can. I mean, I would go back to my middle school days and tell myself that because I was always a kid in the back of the class who wouldn't raise their hand. I wouldn't go out and and purposely try to make friends, you know, just sort of happen. But in my life, the most amazing things that have happened has been a result of the people I've connected with from getting my architecture job to going down this path and even the more amazing things that are happening in my life now. I think the biggest thing is that I would go back and say, you know what, you deserve successful and you deserve to get paid for the work that you put in. And when I think back to the work I did in architecture, I mean, I did so much more than I was asked of. And yes, I got a raise and I got promoted here and there, but there were people at my level who weren't working quite as hard who were still getting paid the same in terms of you know our actual job uh, position. And so I, I didn't have to work as hard and I could have gotten the same results. I think we always want to put ourselves in a situation where we will get paid what we deserve and get rewarded for and recognized for that too. And I think if I could go back at the time, I would tell myself, you know, you need to put yourself in a position where you're going to be recognized for the hard work that you put in or you're going to be punished for the laziness that you put forth. I got to stop you there. You said something that was really interesting. You said, you think we put ourselves into positions where we get paid what we deserve. There are people I'm sure that are listening that heard that, but didn't fully capture your full meaning to that. Do you mind going deeper? Yeah. I mean, when I was back uh, working really hard in the architecture world, I mean, I was working really hard and getting paid just as much as somebody who was in the same position who wasn't working quite as hard. And so, you know, it's that salary thing, working nine to five, you know, and being your own boss, you get to create your own future. And that's that's the really cool thing about it. You get paid what you put in, for instance, and, and you get to shape your life in a way where you can build a business to reflect the life you want to have and not sort of live your life the way that your business allows you to or that your work allows you to. So it's kind of flipped the other way around. So you want to understand what your goals are, what you what you want your life to look like, and then build your life and business and your work around that not have your life be a reflection of the work that you just ha- you ended up doing. You know, you got to be conscious about all the things that are happening and what they're doing to affect your life and your happiness and the people around you. So did you set out at some point along this journey since 2008 to make $100,000 per month in revenue? Was that actually a, an active thing that you f- focused on? Or did all of this surpass your expectations along the way? 
the by the money happened to be a byproduct of what I believe the goals that I set were about serving my audience. So you had values that you acted on and the money followed through acting on those values. Correct. Correct. And at the same time, a lot of people, I mean, I want to make sure everyone, everybody understands my true why behind what I do. It's not just to serve my audience, but it's also to be at home and be there with my family. I mean, that's a big reason why I have the work hours that, that I have, which is mostly working after the kids go to sleep or work, waking up super early so I can do the work I need to do before the kids wake up so I can spend all my day with them. It's the reason why, even though there are opportunities to create super successful multi-million dollar businesses, I don't want to because those types of businesses that I have that opportunity to do that would require me going into an office all day long and infrastructure and, and hundreds of employees and that sort of thing. And I choose not to do that because that's not what I want. That's not my end goal. Can you actually share an example of that that you've passed on just so that we can get an idea? Yeah. The really, because it's great to hear, but it's so great to have specifics. Yeah. No, thank you, Jess. So I have a company that I promote as an affiliate on my site. Bluehost. <laughs> Bluehost, yes, a hosting a domain company. I make quite a bit of money from recommending their services to people. And I've had so many people email me in the past, say, Pat, Bluehost is great. You do a good job for them. But why don't you create your own hosting company? You could kill it. And I'm like, hmm, I could because I can have my, I, you know, I can keep all those customers. I can perhaps put them in a pipeline where I sell them other upgrades and things like that. And all that money would be coming to me and my company. And it could be, you know, and, and I, uh, you know, I'm a user of websites. I know what's missing from the hosting companies that are out there and what would make a great experience for people getting hosting. But I choose not to do that because that's just not the lifestyle I want to create. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. It really brings it to light. What about the mindset shifts you've had to make in your personal life to be able to either execute at the level that brings this amount of value to people or just to maintain it? So what have you had to change in your daily practices personally so that you can continue to grow and provide this amount of value? Well, it's interesting because I remember specifically, this is even before my wife and I had kids, uh, I was so gung-ho about my business. It was taken off. It was doing really well. And I was just in front of my computer all day long. And then even when I would be having conversations with my wife, her mouth would be moving and I would hear noise. But um, <laughs> in the back of my head, I kept thinking about that next thing I had to do, that partnership I was going to have, that email I had to send out, that new product I was going to create. And it was completely unfair. Like Looking back, I was such a punk for thinking that way because I wasn't giving my wife the attention she deserved. And it ended up happening where one time she actually called me out during a conversation. We were having a chat and she could see me sort of phasing out a little bit. And then she stopped me. She you're thinking about your business, aren't you? And, you know, me being a guy, I'm like, no, what are you talking about? And she, said, she goes, okay, well, what would I just say? And I said, um, you said, well, you're thinking about your business, aren't you? You know, thinking I was smart and that didn't get a good response. And we ended up having a super heated conversation, a very respectful but very intense conversation about boundaries and the fact that I was dedicating a lot of time to work, which was great. It was obviously providing for the family and we were going to start a family very soon. However, we wanted to make sure that we had this conversation now before daddy was in his office all day while the kids played and he never seed them. Also, so that it was fair for her. So she knew when I was working and when I wasn't, when it was okay to talk to me when I was in front of the computer or when it was not. And it was also good for my business to have this discussion too, because then I can make sure that I have this time when I do work to focus completely on work, knowing that I was going to have time away from work and so I can mentally check out. I mean, that's the one cool thing that I love about the nine to five that doesn't happen when you're an entrepreneur is that at 5 p.m. 
you're checked out both physically and mentally. And you can go and spend time and dedicate all your energy to whoever it is that you need to dedicate that time and energy to. When you're an entrepreneur, you can always easily open up your laptop and go to your computer or even now with the phones, just keep working on your business. It's really hard. It was really hard to make that sort of distinction and boundary. What ended up happening was we needed to create a schedule. So we created a schedule and that helped because everybody knew when it was time to work and when it wasn't time to work. And so it was really clear in my head and also my wife said when that was happening. I also needed a physical space to do that because even the schedule wasn't working out. I was always attempting to open the computer and stuff. So having a physical space in our apartment was really important, a space where only when I went in that space, all I would do there was work. And when I was away from that space, I wasn't able to do work. And that was more helpful than the schedule, actually. And then over time, you know, things have changed. We've, ha- we've had a couple kids, and every time the kid's been introduced to the family, it's changed the whole schedule. And, and then really it becomes about adapting and adjusting to the situation and kind of rolling with the punches. But I think most importantly, with my wife and I specifically, it's, it's just about communicating and being honest and open to each other on how we feel, which has been really, really helpful. There's a lot, a lot of other mindset shifts that have happened along the way. I mean, as the income has begun to grow, I've begun, you know, th- this is a very common thing I've, I've researched because it was, it was really worrying me at first. Just the fact that every once in a while, I get this feeling where like, I don't feel like I deserve it. Yeah, that's what I've got to wonder, because that amount of money to me boggles my mind. I can't wrap my head around it, which is probably why I'm not there yet. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, part of me is like, okay, well, I don't need this much money. I mean, I'm saving a lot of it. I'm doing what I can to donate. Like you said, I'm doing the schools now and and Ghana and more things and uh, because it's just complete surplus. But every once in a while, I'm like, man, I don't do I really deserve this. I mean, there's a lot of other people that work way harder than me that aren't getting paid more than minimum wage sometimes. And I and I compare and, and I contrast and it, it eats at me sometimes. But there was a great book that I read by T. Harv Ecker called Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, which totally goes into the mindset of what it takes to have this millionaire mind, this abundant mindset where you feel like you deserve it, where you know you deserve it, where you can kind of train your mind to understand what's going on with because money changes people. Has it changed you? It has changed me, but for the better because I've had a lot of help along the way. I've had friends in the past when I was getting started with online business who have completely gone way beyond where I'm at. And I'm sad to say that some of them aren't friends anymore because they completely changed who they were. You know, I don't talk to them anymore. The money became the big motivator for them and they just acted or did certain things that I didn't agree with. And so I'm not friends with those people anymore. Seeing that happen to them because they took off way faster than me really scared me. And I didn't want to go down that path. And I knew that it wasn't really their fault. It kind of just the money does that to some people. And so I've put systems into place to make sure I don't go down that path. So first one, my wife. So amazing. She helps me keep my head on straight. She's even said, I think this is the language she used. She, she said, if your head gets too big, I'm not going to be there to support it. I've heard you say that. And I love it. I love that quote from my wife. And uh, does she remind you of that? Or is that just a one time thing? <laughs> I mean, she reminds me like with her eyes sometimes. <laughs> she has the look. <laughs> right, right. Like if I'm in, in a group of people and I'm talking about all this cool stuff that's happening and then, you know, I, I get to that point where I'm just like a little bit too on that side of being a little bit show offy, which I don't want to be. But, you know, again, you don't know sometimes she gives me that look and I'm like, OK, time to pull back a little. And I love her for that. Now, I've also called upon my audience to tell me I have in my email autoresponder and I even tell certain people, you know, hey, if you ever see me getting off track, if you ever see me becoming not who you believe Pat Flynn should be, please tell me 
in if you see me in person, like slap me in the face because I don't want to go down that path. And I know it's not always under my control. And so, again, relying on other people and, and giving other people permission to tell me when I'm doing something wrong. And my audience has been great with that. Sometimes I, I might do a promotion in a way that just didn't sit right with them. And they'll tell me and I'll be like, oh, my gosh, you're right. You don't know sometimes what it's like when you're doing it yourself, what it looks like on the outside. It's hard to know. And so calling upon the people who are watching you and following you is a really, really good thing. A lot of times a lot of people are scared to do that, but I'm here to serve my audience and and I want them to help me serve them more too. Yeah, you want to be as tied to your values as possible. So the money flows from providing the value rather than chasing the money. Right which is just ultimately a shiny penny. If you're just chasing it for the money as the the means in the end, that's where that personality shift can happen. I love that you said it made you a better person. Oprah Winfrey has said that money doesn't make you different. It just puts a microscope on who you already are. What is your thought on that? That's absolutely true. Like I said, I'm, those friends I had, they're not friends anymore. And probably deep down, they, have, they were always that type of person. It's just the money has allowed them to get there faster or sort of... Um, show who their true personality is like or what their per- true personality is like. And and I'm glad that as I found success that it's been able to, like a megaphone, just share more of who I am with the world and hopefully help inspire others too. So yeah, completely agree. And I do think you walk the walk. I have never seen anything that felt off for Pat, but I can imagine that, yes, you would be the first person to ask people to tell you if that ever became the case. So what other personal habit shifts have you made? I know you're really into reading and those sorts of things. And I know you've been meditating more often. And I think you've actually been experimenting with exercise and diet more. Has that been a part of this journey? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, those those are huge. And although those things, meditation, diet, exercise, don't necessarily have they're not directly related to my business, they absolutely have an effect on it. I've been since implementing a sort of exercise regimen and meditation and also reading and, and this whole miracle morning thing, which how Elrod talks about. I don't know if you've, you know who Elrod is. He's coming on in a few weeks. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. He's changed my life the last couple of months because I had him on my show recently. Yes. I heard your story. I made my husband listen to it twice. <laughs> I was like, I've got to get Hal on. Oh, my gosh. It was, so you, you guys are going to be blown away by Hal. And his story is incredible and, and inspiring and, and, and what he teaches or inspires people to do, which is, which is take advantage of their morning and be able to, to wake up excited about taking charge and, and, and self-improving yourself instead of sort of just waking up because you set an alarm to do something for somebody else. And that right there, that last part was really what changed the mindset for me in terms of switching from a night owl, which I've always been ever since college and, you know, architecture studio to just the past two months switching to a morning routine and waking up at 5 a.m. and spending time with myself to improve myself, to read, to meditate, to exercise. And now I've seen the direct impact it's had on my business. And, and one thing that I've learned over time, especially since I've had kids, is that because my why is to spend as much time with them, you know, I'm not going to take that time away from them. But the time that I have to work has shrunk. What I do now is I do whatever I can to optimize that time, to be completely focused. And I feel like now when I'm in work mode, if I waste any second, that's a second that I'm taking away from my kids. That completely motivates me. And so I'm sort of a productivity freak in terms of what tools can I use? What systems can I use? And the exercise and the diet has completely is probably played a bigger role than any tool, you know, that I've ever gotten. Now I'm doing triathlons and half marathons. Now maybe I'll end up doing an Ironman someday, which would be kind of cool. But it has completely changed my focus, my creativity, and the output that I have per number of hours I put in. 
I love that. And one of the things that I've talked a lot with different guests on the show over the year about is meditation. And the people I've had on are more on the other side of the spectrum than you fall on. And I know you have talked about your resistance towards it initially about how it was woo woo and didn't really get it. But now you're into it. As someone who fell on the other end of the woo woo spectrum, (laughs) going into meditation, what have you found about it for you? Well, I found that it's so hard and it wasn't easy and that I didn't really know how to do it at first. I was so resistant to it just because I was like, really, we're going to sit there and like waste this time. And I said that about exercise and I said that about cooking good food too. And I saw what that has done for me in terms of spending and investing time to do that, how it's just uh, shaped other parts of my life. And really the big thing for me was I kept hearing on Tim Ferriss's podcast and so many other podcasts about just how much meditation has changed people's lives. And I was like, okay, this has got to be not woo-woo anymore. I mean, these these people who I really look up to are saying this. I'm going to give it a shot. And then I got really involved with an app called Headspace, which is really cool. It's sort of guided meditation. This guy with a super awesome uh, English accent is telling you sort of what to think about and calm, you know, stay calm and this sort of thing. And and I was using that app, but I wasn't sure if it was working. I like I would sit there and think, and my brain would kind of go in every which way. I wasn't sure if it was working. I needed something that would just tell me if it was working on working or not. And then I was like, well. How is that going to happen? Well, then my buddy uh, who's really big on meditation stuff. Chris Ducker. um, No, this is actually a friend from high school. Chris is a great friend of mine, though. And I actually got him into what I'm about to tell you. My friend introduced me to this thing called a muse, M-U-S-E. You can find it at choosemuse.com. And it's a device that you stick on your head. It's like a it looks like a headband. Dr. Spock kind of. (laughs) <laughs> sort of, yeah, exactly. And and you put it on your head and it has these sensors that can read how active or calm your brain is. And it shows you on an app. And then that app, you actually, it sort of gamifies it for you and helps you keep track. And so during a session, what happens is when your brain is active and you're thinking about all these different things, you will hear rushing wind and crashing waves and it's very loud. But then when you calm your brain, the wind dies down, you start to hear calm water and then if you're calm for a certain period of time, you start to hear birds chirping in the distance. It's super cool to get that immediate feedback whether or not your brain is calm or not. And it, then at the end, it spits out this graph of how calm you were and when. Over time, it gives you data like, oh, you're more calm in the mornings or your, your Mondays and Wednesdays are better than your weekends and all this crazy information that can help you in every which way. And the biggest thing that I found from just implementing this in my life, besides the fact that I, I just am – I've. I mean, that's another validation for me that I need data to help me move forward. Not everybody's that case, but that's why this device is really cool for me. I'm able to refocus much faster. So whenever we're working, you know, we oftentimes get distracted and that's a killer for us because one of the hardest things to do is get right back. Transition time, right? That's in the one thing, which I know you're a fan of. We actually had Jay Papasan on, who is one of the co-authors, and he talks about it's 28% of our workday is transition time. Oh, it's such a waste of time. I mean, I I would much rather do one hour of focused work than eight hours of going back and forth and transitioning and stuff. You'll get so much more done. And and the the one thing I highly recommend that Gary Keller and Jay Papazon are amazing. That's the one thing I've directly noticed since doing this for two months is when I get off track, I'm much quicker at getting back on track. With having kids, it's, it's pretty important to have that ability. So you started as an experiment to see, is it all what it's cracked up to be that everyone's talking about? And you're staying because it's helping you transition quicker. Absolutely. I mean, among other things, it's just uh, I feel like my creative processes are, are much better too. brainstorming book ideas or product ideas or, or blog post ideas. It's just it just seems to be coming much easier. 
one of the things I'd love to ask you is, I know you read and love the book Essentialism. Yeah. I'm reading it right now because lately in my own career and life, there's been a lot of new opportunities coming my way. And I've just been trying to fit more and more into, I was basically in the productivity trap where I was just trying to be as productive as possible and switch between things, but really was taking on far too much than was sustainable. So my career started to take over my life and I started to fit my life in the cracks and crevices in between the things that my work was taking up. And I've been working over the last few weeks to fix this. And I can only imagine at the level that you're at that you've had to go through those growing pains along the way. So how do you basically, I don't know if essentialism or that book or idea falls into this, but how do you make things manageable besides meditation? Meditation and focus and productivity, that's all helpful. But I think prioritizing has been something that I've been learning to sort of master in my life and determining, okay, well, there's a lot of things to do. What should I do right now? What should I do first? What's going to make the biggest impact? What's that 20% that will give me 80% of the results? I mean, that's very Tim Ferriss. He was sort of the first person to introduce me to that idea. Uh, But that's kind of what I look for now. And I I invest time up front to plan and to decide so that I can then just take action and focus on those things later instead of transitioning between things or wasting energy on those decision-making processes when it might not be time to make decisions. I batch process uh, a lot of things now. I batch process everything from email to writing to podcast episodes to even decision-making. And and this whole decision-making thing I heard recently, and I I think it was Tim Ferriss who said this, who said that, and I don't know if this is true, but he says, you know, essentially you can imagine decision-making very, very high level thing that takes a lot of energy. And in, we pretty much have a tank that is filled up every morning when we wake up. The more sleep you get and the better quality sleep you get, the bigger this tank is. But after you use up your decision-making fuel, if you want to call it, for the day, you make poor decisions. And we all probably have made poor decisions in our lives. And a lot of times that happens late at night when we're tired. You know, we might grab something to eat when we're not even thinking about it. And it might not be the best thing to eat just because we're so tired. We've already used all that fuel up. And he said, I mean, this goes back to the whole miracle morning and the morning routine thing, which you'll hear Hal talk about. You try to do as much as you can in your mornings and even other parts of your processes during the day that that doesn't require you to think too much. So you can save that fuel for the high level stuff later and be more focused and productive at at the times that you need to be. So in the morning now, I have, for instance, a complete regiment that I go through. You know, I wake up at five, I splash water twice on my face, I brush my teeth, then I go downstairs and I meditate for seven to 12 minutes, then I get six ounces of water and then I go back upstairs, put my exercise clothes on, and then I do a 30 minute to an hour workout depending on what my workout is for the day, which is already predetermined the night before. Again, I don't have to make any decisions and then by seven o'clock, I've already done so much, so much that I, even if I did nothing the rest of the day, I'd be completely happy with what I've accomplished already. I love that. This is a random question that came to my head, and I don't know why, but let's just throw it out there and see what happens. What scares you? I'll just share the first thing that comes to mind. What scares me is that 30 years from now, my kids, you know, my son and my daughter will have met at a cafe or something to reconnect after a while. And, you know, they have their own families too. And they start talking about my wife and I and how their, you know, how their mom and dad was. And, you know, this is something my wife and I do. We talk about our parents with each other, how we were raised and things that we wish were done differently and that sort of thing. And it's not always negative. There's a lot of positives, obviously, uh, too. But, you know, I'm just sitting there thinking about that conversation. And the thing that scares me most is to have them just be disappointed in me really scares me 
And so, you know, that drives me. I, I do think about that scenario all the time. And that, that drives my decision making and a lot of the things I do. And there's a lot of opportunities that come my way. A lot of people email me offering this and that and partner for this. And you know, I always do the son and daughter test 30 years from now. Is this something that they would consider a good decision or is this something they would look back on and say, well, that, I wish dad didn't do that. They're a big driving force for sort of how I run my business in this sort of interesting way. That's awesome. I had no idea what was going to come out of that question, but I'm so glad I asked because I think so many people can relate to that. I certainly can. And I don't have children yet myself, but I can imagine that is a great litmus test or a sort of value of sorts. Basically, what you're looking at is your legacy. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it is. And, and then I also think about my deathbed in the future and thinking about you know all the things that I've done in my life. And I want to make sure that I do do all the things that I want to do in my life and I do it in the, in the right way. Like, Going back to what we talked about earlier in the beginning, that that resistance that comes into play. I mean, I would hate to look back on my life and say, wow, I wish I had done that. Or what if? You've probably heard me say this before, but I always say I would much rather live a life full of oh wells than a life full of what ifs. Oh, that's good. Well, that's a perfect answer to the question that I usually ask next, which is what doubts or resistance have you faced? Say it again. (laughs) I would much rather live a life full of oh wells than a life full of what ifs. So I can look back and say, oh, well, I gave it a shot instead of, man, what if I did that? That's a tweetable. (laughs) We'll be putting that in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Last but not least, what would you tell someone who is just starting out on this journey? That there's going to be a lot of mistakes along the way. You're going to make a ton of mistakes. You're going to fail. But that's a part of the process. If you ask any successful entrepreneur and they're honest with you, have you ever failed before? during your journey. I mean, absolutely, they will tell you yes. And, and, and I, I like when I'm met with failure. I don't want to fail. I don't try to fail. But when I'm met with failure, I like it because I know that that's a route that I shouldn't go down anymore. I learn from my experiences and we should all do the same. Failing is not bad. It's just a part of the process. You just have to jump over that hurdle or break through that brick wall. The ultimate failure would be coming up to that brick wall or that hurdle and just kind of being like, you know what? I'm going to turn back around and go back to the starting line. No, learn from your mistakes, move forward. And as long as you're falling forward, you're always going to be making progress. Thank you, Pat, so much for making my one year anniversary for The Lively Show so special. It really is surreal, but in the best way possible to be having my one year talking to you when you helped me start my show a year ago. That's so cool. Congratulations to you. And there you have it. Thank you, Pat, so much for coming on the show. It's truly an honor to have you on The Lively Show. And thank you for listening. If you would like to send Pat a message, you can go over to Twitter. His handle is at Pat Flynn. Thank you guys so much for listening this season. Please go back to the archives at thelivelyshow.com and listen to every episode you haven't gotten to yet so far. Or re-listen to the ones that are your favorites. I can't wait to serve you in season two. There's so much I have in store for you. May something wonderful happen to you today. 